at the end of the day, it is about the story and how interesting the story is and how interesting the people telling the story to the equipment point. You can have the greatest equipment. You can even have the greatest crew that makes everything look super, sound great. Everything is very high-level, professional. But if the story itself or the content is uninteresting, nobody's still going to watch it. Welcome to St. Louis in Tune, where we size up current and historic events involving people, places, and things in areas such as the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, history, housing, humor, justice, and sports. Our weekly podcast gives you the edge to live a more informed life. We discuss more than just St. Louis as we connect the Gateway City to our country's current cultural fabric and lives. Welcome back to St. Louis in Tune. This is Arnold Stricker with Mark Langston. We are glad that you stay tuned because we have a special guest on with us today. Michael D. Francis is on the line. He grew up in Kansas City, Kansas, and began his entertainment journey there. He hosted some local talent shows and did some stand-up comedy at Stanford's Comedy Club on Westport. Did some acting and produced some gospel stage plays around town. Worked in Chicago and L.A. doing casting and producing with some networks such as, and these aren't little bitty networks, folks, A&E, MTV, CBS, NBC, BET, TLC, Lifetime, PBS, ESPN, and the Animal Planet. He's kind of returned to the area, and he's started a new project, which we're going to talk to him about. Michael D. Francis, welcome to St. Louis In Tune. Hey, thank you for having me. So how did you get into the well, business in Kansas City, Kansas? What what was your interest to to do that? Well, it was it was during the time of, I don't know if you remember the uh the show that used to come on called Death Comedy Jams. Mm-hmm. And in school, I guess I would say I was a little bit of a, a, a cut up in some ways. And uh people kept telling me that I needed to be on Death Comedy Jams. And I love TV and film and wanted to be in TV and film, but you don't know how to get into it. Mm-hmm. So most people, and I think even still today, the only way they think that they can get into TV and film is they have to be an actor or something like that. And at the time, all the big actors were comedians. So it just made sense. You got to go do comedy to try to get into TV and film. And that led to going to Stanford's, doing stand-up, doing shows around town, things of that nature, and it just started from there. And you moved to then to Chicago and did more acting there, or did is that when you kind of started into the producing end of it? Well, uh, I moved to Chicago doing acting. I uh, spent some time at the uh, Columbia College in Chicago, and I started writing there. And that's where everything kind of started going. And from the acting went to writing, that gave me a view of behind the scenes and how things are put together. And things just went from there as I was, uh, I used to write for Second City for a short period of time in their uh, business department, the uh, side of Second City Chicago that creates the custom shows for companies and events and things of that nature. And I I really learned a lot in that time of how you actually create something and bring it forward. And I learned that ultimately if you want to be able to have longevity and create your own path, you need to be creating the content, not just starring in the content. Interesting perspective. So what's 
did that creation then kind of propel you to L.A. because it really opened up uh, at, a, at a wider venue and, and more, more ability to do more things? Well, during that time, uh, in between doing, learning to write and doing stand-up comedy, there was a comedian that actually came through town, and I was hired to open up for them. And I did well, and when we finished the show, and anybody who goes to comedy shows, generally the comics all stand by the door when you're walking out. And you get to greet them and say hello and, mm-hmm. and that as everybody's leaving. And everybody that night would come up to me, and I was standing right next to the headliner, and was telling the headliner how much funnier I was than him. <laughs> and that's like a no-no in yeah. comedy. Yeah. And I just had a really good night, and he had a not-so-great night that night. And most of the time when that thing happens, the headliners will kick you off the show. But that particular guy took it with stride and everything, and he actually took me out to L.A. to show me how it really works in L.A. And it was during that period of time where I really saw the struggle of people you see on TV and people you think are stars, how they're actually really struggling. And how tough L.A. was, and that's where the transition really started to move me into the point of if you want to call your own shot, you have to create. Well, that's interesting that they put their ego aside and listened to what the other people said and took you under the wing and took you to L.A. And you, you mentioned the struggle. What? Describe some of those struggles so people understand that. We might read something in People or Us or, you know, the tabloids as you're waiting to check out at the grocery store. What are some of those struggles in reality? Well, from the the end of trying to make it when you're just starting out, everybody thinks that everyone in Hollywood or everyone they see on TV is making millions upon millions of dollars. But the industry is really ran by a bunch of working class type people who just happen to work inside of the entertainment business. So when you're starting out and you're trying to get to that point where you're making a bunch of money, you're literally living from gig to gig. You know, people talk about check to check, but you're living from gig to gig and you don't know when your next gig is going to come. So out in L.A., you have a lot of people who are in that space. And they're struggling to get by. It's very, very expensive. So everybody in L.A. has roommates and sometimes multiple roommates. And they're paying more for they pay more to live inside somebody's room and share a bathroom than what in the Midwest. A lot of people are paying for their mortgages. Wow. And it's really uh, a big deal for people to try to make it and get past that, which is why so many people. Uh, live in their cars. When you hear these big stars talk about their struggles, it's a reason why almost all of them have some type of story about living in their car because that is the life out there. That's why everybody is so fit also because they all have gym memberships because that's where they take showers. But that's a whole different story there. Wow. So as you are working out there, is that when you worked for a lot of these large networks that I uh, mentioned at the front end of our interview? Uh. A, a good number of them, yes. That's where my actual TV experience, my real first TV jobs came from when I was out in L.A. And the very first one was Judge Judy. And 
a good number of those are from the L.A. Times. But what has happened is when I came back to the Midwest area, when shows and the networks and the companies come through the Midwest, especially in the state of Missouri from Kansas City to St. Louis, oftentimes I'll get a call for them trying to figure out where they need to go or who they should hire when they are in town or when they're looking for people from the Midwest, my company is becoming positioned to help fill some of those gaps for them because in LA and New York, they're always looking to make shows about people in the Midwest. They're always looking for people from the Midwest to put on shows, but none of the people like to come out to the Midwest to find that. And that is a way that I am a resource for some of the bigger companies and I love the Midwest and love being here. So it all fits in very perfectly. Yeah, so in, in 2018, you came back. Uh, you founded Michael D. Francis Presents, which is a, a boutique Midwest TV production company, and it's based here in St. Louis. And I'm reading right now, it specializes in transformational documentary and reality-style programming for te- television and digital platforms across all genres. And you kind of uniquely set yourself up, and uh, why'd you come back to St. Louis and not KC? Well, I, I was, the short answer, my wife. <laughs> that's a good answer. That's, that's the short answer. <laughs> so you, you've been here since 2018, mm-hmm. and uh, what kinds of things are you, are in the works right now, and what kinds of things are you looking for? Well, uh, we just actually shot a pilot here in the St. Louis area at the end of January. Uh, for a major cable network. I'm not really allowed to go into detail about that yet. But uh, when we are and things are moving forward, I would love to uh, come back and talk about it and even have the stars of the show on for you. Oh, absolutely. But what we're looking for now is more interesting people here in the area that are doing interesting things that I can possibly turn into uh, a reality TV show. My focus is reality and nonfiction TV, so I'm looking for real things, and it could be the, the the gate is wide open. It can be people who have interesting businesses or a interesting life and family dynamic that everyone doesn't get to see, special access into different careers or different places, true crime looking for true crime, people who have some type of personal connection to some interesting uh, crime event or a case that needs to be solved or has a lot of twists and turns that needs to be looked into further. Anything, animals, if you have something interesting with animals, something one of a kind, the key is just the people need to be interesting. If people need to be somebody that if a camera follows them around all day, there is something to see and watch. As, as you think about planning these reality shows, multiple episodes like four or five, are you thinking like a couple in a, in a series of things like I'm thinking of, of true crime events? Like maybe you would spend a couple uh, shows on one crime uh, event and maybe another couple shows and it's kind of a series on crime events. Is that how you how you uh, visualize that? Well, it, it really depends on what the story 
what the story is okay. and who the people are. Sometimes it could be a what they call a limited series where it's only two or three episodes and it follows one case and we just get into the case and follow what's happened in that case or what's happening in that case and that might be it. Other times it can be a long ongoing uh, program or a series that could go on for years if the story is something that would give that much content. An uh, example is the uh, TV show, The First 48. You know, TV, that show, I think, is in 1920 seasons. But that is also something that never stops. It follows homicide detectives. So, sadly, people are always killing each other. Right. So there's always cases to follow. It's always cases to look into. And people are interested in seeing how those things are being solved and seeing how people are are captured and brought to justice. So that's a long going thing where you might have a special limited series, something like uh, they did a show on the uh, was it uh, John Bonet Ramsey? Right, I think that right. was the child's name. Mm-hmm. Remember that case? Mm-hmm. Uh, where they dug into that case, but that case was, even though that case was a big case and it went for a good period of time, it doesn't produce content where you're going to have an ongoing series that's going to last years. But it, you do get a few episodes that once that's over, people have it and they're happy with it. They learned what they needed to learn or they had new insight that they didn't have before. And that's the end of the show. So it just really depends on the uh, the story that's being told. Gotcha. And now, where will these be seen, Michael? Are these going to be on, like, Netflix or uh, cable kinds of things? Would we expect to see them on, like, a, a PBS kind of station or, or public uh, broadcast? Well, that, that part comes down to the business part of, of the business. And it will be – things will air whatever network wants to buy it or air it. So when you package something, which is what I do, I develop something, I build the show, I groom up the talent so they know what they're dealing with and how to make everything happen. And then we have to go out to the networks to find a home for it. And if it's Netflix – Netflix is interested and wants to put it on their air, then that's where to go. Or it may be A and E, it may be CBS, it could be, it could be uh, NBC or Fox or anywhere. It just depends on mm-hmm. where it's going. And right now, you have so many avenues that are trying to fill content with uh, all the cable networks and all the streamers. And every day, it's a new streamer coming into the game that needs more content and all of them set their parameters of what kind of stuff they want to put on their airways. And your content has to fit what they are trying to do at that particular time. Is it easier? And maybe you, this isn't, I don't want to say it's not a fair question, but because it's a, a question that's based upon time uh, due to technology. Now, is it easier to produce a film obviously than it was, you know, years and years ago, but can you, you you see these commercials that, yeah, I just filmed that on my Apple 12 and, you know, all the sound and everything, and we did that. Uh, equipment's one thing, 
and I'll let you answer that, and then I'm going to ask the second part of my question. So is it easier now with the equipment, or is, is it still difficult? Do you need to buy, you know, big cameras, et cetera? It is easier with the equipment. You don't need to, depending on the level of the execution you're trying to, to accomplish, you don't need big equipment. You just need to know how to really utilize what it is that you have. You can take someone who is really skilled and they can take a lower end cheap camera and shoot circles around someone who has the higher end expensive camera and don't really know how to make that camera do what it does. So overall, it is easier with the technology, the editing software, and all the different components that you can use nowadays than what it was 5, 10, or 20 years ago to accomplish something at a higher level because everything is becoming a lot more user-friendly. You know, and you, you kind of touched where I was going on the second thing, you know, when you said you could have lower-end equipment, but somebody who knows how to shoot and has the experience, you must have a story that people really want to hear and be able to tell the story that people will want to listen to it. Yes. At the end of the day, it is about the story and how interesting the story is and how interesting the people telling the story to the equipment point. You can have the greatest equipment. You can even have the greatest crew that makes everything look super, sound great. Everything is very high-level, professional. But if the story itself or the content is uninteresting, nobody's still going to watch it. Or you can have something that is really, really intriguing and engaging and it might not meet the same levels of production value, but people will still be engaged as long as they can at least see it and hear it clearly. They're going to be more engaged with it because the story really connects, even if it's not done in the greatest of fashions. So the question, you you might have this, the same story and two different producers try to produce a show about it. What Obviously, like you just said, you want the story is, is the important thing. What is it about a producer that helps make that story come alive in the, uh, and, and my words now, vibrate within people and really get enthused about it? What, what's the difference between producers where somebody can really tell that story or get what they need out of the action and somebody just kind of misses the real gems there? For me, I think it's it's about a producer that authentically resonates with the story and is connected to it. You do a lot of things more you do a lot of things differently when you are connected and doing it from a place uh I say from your heart and that could mean different things to different people, but I believe that something from the heart connects to the heart. Mm-hmm. And if I'm engaged in it and I really believe and put my heart into it, it's going to connect to more people's hearts, opposed to if I'm just literally doing it just for money. Mm-hmm. If I'm doing it just for money, I don't necessarily really care about the details and the nuances that really resonates with people. And a lot of times that's where you miss the mark. You don't hire the people, the right people you need to pull off what you're trying to accomplish because it's very collaborative and the producer, the producer's role is really to put all the pieces in place and you want to put the pieces in place that gives you that winning team. And if I'm not connected to it, 
then I might miss some of those things or not care enough to make sure that I get it right. And when you sit at home and watch it on your TV, your computer, or your telephone, you feel that. You might not know what's wrong or why something is not connecting with you the way that you feel like it should. All you know is that it's not. Right, right. That's a good point. That's a good point. Are you still working with Film Everything St. Louis and uh, St. Louis production team? Yes, yes. Those are uh, two of the uh, local production groups that I help run. Trying to it's a way that we're trying to connect the people who are trying to really get into the space and get the things that they need and build a community to really build up the production community here in in town. And talk about some of the the work that you're doing uh, for some nonprofits that you're involved with. So uh, I I am on the board of a couple of nonprofits. Uh, the first one is the Corey Johnson Foundation, which is a inner city nonprofit that teaches kids life skills through teaching them how to be philanthropists. We teach the kids that they can get what they need by helping others, just building in how you should help other people. And that makes everything better for you. And you can learn what you need to learn to get through what you want to get through in life by helping others. And that's a really powerful group. And we do a lot of things in the community from everything from uh, feeding feeding the homeless to helping kids with back-to-school supplies and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, the back-to-school years, we have a big event that we normally do. Uh, it's some big party for the kids that come out, and the kids put it on and give out stuff to kids that need so they get to see how it is firsthand to, to help folks. Then I'm also on uh, the board for Continuity STL, and Continuity STL, is an organization that is striving to increase the diversity inside of the production world and the media community and teaching people to change skills to better enter that world. So people come in for like a 36-week class that they're changing careers. And this, this one's for adults hmm. that want to learn how to expand their media education and production it was the idea of hoping hoping to be able to get them into the workplace, either as owning their own businesses, doing freelance production stuff, or getting into uh, production fields where they can help and fulfill roles within other larger companies around town. Then the last one is MoMA, which MoMA is the organization that is working to try to bring the film tax incentives back to Missouri so we can start to attract and be more competitive with our surrounding states to get production here in St. Louis and bring those films and things back here because production is a economic driver if we can get it coming because it brings so much money to the area in the different ways that production dumps funds into whatever environment it comes into really would, would boost up an economy in a, in a variety of areas. Uh, you know, you see many shows are filmed in Georgia, and I know sometimes there are concessions that are made from the state. Uh, do you think that plays into a production group's uh, thoughts, or is that that big of a deal? It's a huge deal for the, the huge things. So when you have, like, the Ozarks, we have all our shows that are shot, 
or that are based in Missouri, very few of them are filmed actually in Missouri. And it, they're not filmed here because we don't have those uh, credits. So those kind of things would be huge coming in when you have millions and millions of dollars being come in and being spent in your state and your cities and your local municipalities. It makes a huge thing. A lot of people don't understand that the incentives actually are helping the working class people. They look at it as they're subsidizing huge stars and, you know, Brad Pitt or somebody like that, when that's really not the case. It's subsidizing all our local businesses that productions hire and pay money to when they come into town. We're talking about your dry cleaners, your caterers, your floor shops, your local hardware store. When production comes in, production spends a lot of money to make production happen. You got to buy a lot of things in the location that you're at. Hotel costs, restaurants, you got a lot of people to feed. Uh, The transportation industry is hugely affected. Because you got to have somebody move all this stuff around. You got to have somebody move all the people around. It just really pumps dollars in, in in a huge way that people don't really understand and don't look at it from that perspective of what kind of revenue it generates. And it helps with tourism, which then generates money even later on as more people want to come to your place or your town, your city, your state, because they have seen it on TV or they know that these things happen there. I'm a firm believer that art really drives almost everything, uh, but we don't respect it as such. But people like to go places and do things because it's cool, and art makes things cool. You know. That's a great, great response to that. You know, we've been talking to uh, Michael D. Francis. He is the, I guess you could say the CEO and president or found, and founder of Michael D. Francis Presents which is a boutique Midwest TV production company based here in St. Louis. And you can find out more. Go to MichaelDFrancisPresents.com, MichaelDFrancisPresents.com. Michael, want to have you back when that show comes out and we can have uh, some of the stars and have you in in studio here and discuss that. I would really look forward to, to doing that. I look forward to doing it with you. All right, thanks for being on today. Best wishes and good luck on these shows that are that we're going to end up seeing. Uh, thank you. Right, thank, thank you for having me on. You bet. We appreciate you listening to this episode of St. Louis in Tune. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider letting us know. The best way to do this is by rating us on Apple Podcast. You could even write a review. St. Louis in Tune is produced in cooperation with KWRH 92.9 FM and Motif Media Group. For St. Louis in Tune, I'm Arnold Stricker.